give me a minute, and I'll put this on the podcast so everybody hears it tonight will hear it. So I've just talked with our congregation here, and I've asked everybody to call you in the next couple of days and find out if you want Sunday, I'm sorry, Wednesday evening service here at the church or not. Here's why. Because most of you are staying home on Wednesday night, and you're using the excuse of getting to see this online or on a podcast to be able to get through the week. That's fine if you have issues. I do understand that Sister Susan this week has had issues. I understand Sister Carrie has had issues. I know that Tom is sick from time to time. But there are a lot of folks that are just through Sunday, uh, Wednesday night service out, so I don't have to come. So God don't continually put his pearl before the swine. Someone say amen. So as the leader of the church, I've got to give God an answer. And the only way I can give him an answer is if you'll give me an answer. Amen. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. God wants to do something here in this church in the next three months. And either we are going to get serious about what God wants to do or we can let Bethel have it or we can let New Light over there have it because God's going to make a decision very soon. Amen? Amen. And we need everybody here. Seems like to me any excuse that can be used to not be at church is used. And I just want to know where you stand. God wants to know where you stand. Is this your church? Is this what God wants you to do? Is God want you to be a part to commit to go forward, do what God wants, we just need to know. Amen? Amen. So those of us that are here tonight, we are going to be calling you, texting you, asking you how you're going to vote Sunday morning because we're going to take a vote Sunday morning. Amen? Amen? Sunday morning, come prepared with your loved one because we have Sunday morning dinner or Sunday morning dinner after church, Sunday morning lunch. Ain't that how it is? Yeah, Sunday morning lunch. So we're going to all eat and enjoy each other and have a good time in the spirit of the Lord. Amen? Amen. How many of us have been enjoying what God has been saying and doing from our pulpit? Would you say amen tonight? Amen. Have you learned something? Would you say yes? yes. All righty. So God wants to carry us a little bit further. We do want to go to prayer tonight. Nathan needs our prayers continually. I think that he has been moved out of the um, off of the vent, out of the uh, intensive care. He's in the regular room for last I heard. Our prayers does do something. Kids, I know you're here tonight. This is a, a child that's 20 years old that overdosed. And it can happen in just an instance. It don't take much. So we need to, if you have children or children that are here, we need to reach out to them and invite them to be in our church and our assembly each time that we are open. I am glad that you're here tonight. Let's give the kids a hand tonight for being here. Amen. That's kind of weak, but we'll take it. Amen. We're glad all of you are here tonight, but we sure would love to see you on Sunday mornings too. That means you can get up before 10 o'clock. All of them smiling by there because I know they probably like to sleep. But you can come and be with us this Sunday, so come on and be with us. We definitely love to see you. At that point, we count you as part of our church, but we want to go to prayer tonight. We want to remember Nathan, we want to remember Carrie, we want to remember Tom. Is there anybody else special tonight that we need to remember at this point? John said, we love 
John. Okay, we'll remember John. All righty. Let's go to the Lord prayer. Father, tonight we come into your presence. We're so thankful and we're so grateful for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the work that you have given unto us. We thank you, Lord, for what you've already done in the life of Nathan. Father, we ask you, Lord, tonight that you'll continually move in that area and in that arena as you speak to that entire family. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for what you've done over in Tom Lim's family, and I thank you for what you're doing there in the ears that are being open to hear you. Father, I pray, Lord God, that the healing power of God and the loving arms of God will rest upon the family of Nathan tonight. God, that you'll give them the peace that passes all understanding, that they'll know exactly what you are trying to accomplish through this hour. I pray for the dad, I pray for the mom, that the conviction power of God would hit them and that they would have to give their heart to the Lord. Father, that they will hear the message that is being preached through their son's life to them and how important it is, Lord God, to get serious with you. Father, I pray tonight in our church, Lord God, that we would stir up these folks and God, that this church would get dedicated unto you. Father, I know this is a tough situation, tough times with the virus and all of that, but Lord, but Lord, we've been fighting the virus now for a year. It's time for us to throw aside the fear and go forward in faith to know that you've already got us took care of and that you're going to deliver us out of the, uh, the noise of the pestilence. Father, you said in the scripture that you would deliver us out of the noise of the pestilence. Lord, the virus may always be here, but you'll take us out of the noise of the pestilence and you'll take us out of the fear of the pestilence. And I give you the praise for what you're going to do tonight. Father, I pray, Lord God, now that you'll minister to Tom where he is. Lord God, just continually strengthen him in this hour. He's battling and his faith is being tried. Father, lift him up right now in the name of Jesus. We assign angels to him even in this hour. And I'll give you the praise and the glory for it all in the precious holy name of Jesus. Lord, tonight, as we open up our hearts, our souls, and our mind unto you, Father, I pray that your scriptures will open up like a flower to each one of us. Father, that we'll see things in the scripture that we have seen, never seen before. And God, that we'll leave here a different way than what we came. And I'll be careful to praise you for it all in Jesus' name. And our church shouts, amen, amen. and amen. And we're back into the book of Genesis tonight. We have been studying on the spiritual warfare. I began this several months ago. And as I began to study it, I began to realize and to understand that many people didn't understand uh, the, the different worlds. We, we, as you talk with certain people, they were talking about the heavenlies. And yes, there is spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. But there is also spiritual warfare here on earth. Not only is there spiritual warfare here on earth, there is spiritual warfare in the seas and under the seas, in the ground, and in heaven, in the third heaven. And I, God told me at that point, he said, you need to go back and begin to explain to everyone why there is spiritual warfare. We've done that. We've covered that in the last little while. We have studied there in Genesis chapter number one and came to the understanding that God created the heavens and the earth and he brought it out of nothing. He created the heavens first and that the earth was dry land. 100% of it was dry land. And something happened between Genesis chapter 1 verse number 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse number 2 that caused a bunch of water to be put here on the earth. We have discovered in the scripture in Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter number 28 and a plethora of others, that Lucifer, which was the prince of the angels at the time, he was the one that ruled all the angels, had access to heaven and to several different uh, planets, planets or different areas, whatever you want to call them. And as he got the word of what God was trying to accomplish, he got a little upset that his throne was going to be given to Jesus and that God was going to move from the planet heaven to earth. 
and he got upset about it and began to tell people that God told him a lie or he began to tell everybody that God was lying unto him and he got so well with it that every subject that lived on the face of the earth, every subject that lived on the face of the earth rebelled with him and went to heaven along with a third or uh, 33% of God's angels rebelled against God and went to God and to fight him and to throw him out of his throne. And God, the Bible says through the mouth of Jesus, that God threw him out of heaven and like lightning he was thrown back down. And over in the epistles in Peter, in the original language, it said that God reached down with his hand, grabbed the earth, turned it completely upside down, where the water that was above it came down onto the ground. And in doing so, the earth stayed flooded for billions of years. So if you hear of evolution uh, and that uh, man comes from this monkey and all of that, that's not true. God, The Bible says that God created this earth. And the reason why evolution come in with so much power is everyone says the Bible only gives you 6,000 years of history. When in fact, when you really study the original language, it does not dispute that this earth is over a four and a half billion years old as the scientists have proven. And that there were beings here on the earth such as the dinosaurs and things like that that was wiped out in that flood. There were cavemen that were here on the earth, the subjects of the devil that was or Lucifer at the time, that was wiped out. And before that happened, God had never created hell, which is down in the earth, five compartments. We talked on that as well. God had not created hell for the devil and his angels. But when the devil became the devil, he created hell for the devil and his angels. So at that point, all the people that were all the subjects, I'm not going to call them people, all the subjects that lived on the earth in that world before was destroyed and in being destroyed, at that point, in being destroyed, their spirit that was inside of their body had no place to go. It had no place to go. There was no hell. There was nothing there for it to go with. So it was left to go out into the air, and it has been in the air ever since. So for many, many, many billions of years, the earth itself was flooded with water. And finally, in verse number 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis, we find out that the Spirit of God came down and began to move upon the face of the water. And the word brood there actually means, or moved there, means that he looked at it like a mother who was looking at their creation or their child and heartbroken for how the creation had turned out. And he begins to recreate the earth. And in six days, he recreates the earth, releases the curse that is on the earth, places the earth back together. And on the sixth day, he creates man, and he marries man to a woman. And from that point on, God begins to share with us his, uh, his plan for man. And that's what we've been studying. Last week, we talked a little bit about dispensation. You'll hear me talk about that word a whole lot because the Bible is broken up in dispensations. But it's also broken up in ages. There's a different, every time in the Bible where you see the word world, in the uh, in Greek it is aeon or eon. You, you'll hear me say that word a lot. That means a period of time. But there's also not only the ages, there are dispensations in that age. A dispensation is a period of time within an age that God puts subjects in that period and puts the law in place and sees if that law 
or that subject will follow that law. And if they don't follow that law, then they are punished. If they do follow that law, then they are blessed. Last couple, three Sunday nights, we have been talking about the anti-chaotic age, meaning it was the period of the years, it was the dispensation of angels. So it was the anti-chaotic age. Subset of that is there is a time period where the angels ruled the earth. And that pulled from Genesis chapter number 1, verse 1, to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. Angels ruled the earth. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the angels that God had in place, 70 different angels that he taught with, 70 different angels that he has counsel with, 70 different angels that rules the governments of this world. All 70 of those angels are assigned to a certain nation. We also found out last week that God held the country Israel as his lot, as his inheritance, and God himself is over the nation of Israel. And through the new covenant and the death of Jesus Christ, we, although we are Americans, can accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And the Bible says that we are grafted in as a member of the nation of God. And because of that, God is our supreme owner. He is our supreme being, our creator God. Michael is the angel that Israel has been assigned, and Michael becomes our angel. And we ended there last week talking about Michael being the powerful and the most powerful angel that exists today. So you got way more for you than you do against you. Someone say amen. So tonight, I want to share with you also I just want you to understand this we have covered the anti-chaotic age and in the anti-chaotic age there was a period of time a dispensation called the dispensation of angels tonight we are going to pick up on the second stage of the uh, of the age and there's several dispensations under that age the second age is called the antediluvian age Spelled A-N-T-E, Diluvian, D-I-L-U-V-I-N. Diluvian means a flood. So this is before the flood of Noah. So from Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 3, all the way to Genesis chapter 8, verse 14, covers the antediluvian age. It begins at the six days of recreation and it ends at Noah's flood at the ending of Noah's flood, and then God moves to another area. And also under that age, there are several dispensations under that age, and we're going to get into that tonight. But first off on in your notes tonight, I want to give you the nine dispensations of man, not the, nine, the, not the ages, but the nine dispensations that God deals and has set up a time period here on the earth. Seven of them deal directly 100% with men. Two of them deal with angels. And the last one deals with angels and man. The first dispensation is the dispensation of angels. That is from Genesis chapter number 1, verse 1, to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. The dispensation of angels, where angels ruled certain worlds and planets. The second one is the dispensation of innocence. It picks up actually in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. 
And it runs through Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, where Adam and Eve fell. This was a time when God put Adam in the Garden of Eden and he told him one law, one law. He said, you can eat of any tree that you want to eat of from the garden, but there is one tree you cannot eat of. The day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And God put him there and gave him that probationary period. We don't know how long that period lasted. We have no earthly idea. But according to a lot of the rabbis from the Jewish religion, it didn't last very long. It didn't last very long at all. In fact, some think that it happened before the first Sabbath came around. I don't know. It could have been many years. But that was the dispensation of innocence. It lasts and carries you through Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The reason why these dispensations and ages are so very important is the Bible is written, taught in ages and in dispensations. And if you don't know these ages and dispensations, you will apply certain things written in one age to another age, and they do not comply. They don't come together. The third one was the dispensation of conscience. Dispensation of conscience. It was Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, and it ran all the way through 814 of Genesis. That is when men live by their conscience, their conscience law. There was really no truly written down law. It's by God moving upon the person's conscience and living the best that they could possibly live in whatever way they felt that they need to live. So that covers that period of time through chapter 8, verse 14. Then we come into the dispensation of human government. That picks up in Genesis chapter number 8, verse 15. And it runs to chapter 11, verse number 32. Genesis chapter number 11, verse number 32. And then the next dispensation was the dispensation of promise. When God decided to call Abraham, and he called Abraham out of the land of Ur, and that he promised him, he said, if you'll follow me, he said, I will make your, your seed as the uh, sands of the seashore. And that dispensation of promise lasts all the way from Genesis chapter number 12, verse 1, to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Genesis chapter number 12, verse 1, and carries you through Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. Then the fifth one is the dispensation of law. That's when God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It is when the law was instated. And that carries from Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, all the way through Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, we go into another dispensation, and that dispensation is the dispensation of grace. That picks up in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1, and it goes all the way to Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Everybody getting all this? If you are, say amen. amen. All right. Verse number eight says is, I'm sorry, the, the eighth one is the dispensation of divine government, or we refer to it as the millennium, when Jesus comes to the earth and he lives here on the earth for a thousand years. It starts in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11, and it runs through Revelation chapter number 20, verse 15. It is the millennium. It is a thousand years where Jesus has brought finally world peace here on the earth. 
And then the last stage is the dispensation of the faithful angels and the dispensation of the faithful redeemed men. The dispensation of faithful angels and the faithful uh, men, redeemed men. This actually starts picking up in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and it will continue through all eternity. If you're not a faithful man at that point in time, your eternity will be in hell. If you die unfaithful and not accept God, your spirit will go to hell. And it was set there in hell until Jesus shows up with all of his saints and defeats the Antichrist. And then God comes down to the earth after a thousand years and judges the earth and you will be raised up out of hell. You will go before God and God will judge you. And at that point in time, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire and you will stay in the lake of fire forever. So it's very important that you understand these dispensations, especially if you're going to be a, study, a student of the Bible because if you don't understand when this was written, what age it was applied to, what dispensation it was applied to, then we'll have a whole lot of stuff mixed up in the Bible. We will have all kinds of crazy laws that we don't really have to follow today because of being under the covenant of grace. I just want to say tonight, thank God for grace. Amen. Now, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 28, one of the greatest scriptures that was ever written by the hand of Moses. It was written by God through him, but you need to fully understand this scripture before you undergo any further. We have studied the dispensation of the anti-chaotic age and the dispensation of angels that rules. Now we have come into play here. And God has began in this period of time, says in this dispensation, the angels have been ruling. Now he comes in to set up an antediluvian age before the flood. And he recreates the earth. He sets the earth up. And he's got to have a ruler on the earth because Lucifer has failed. That's why Lucifer is so mad with the human race is because you were the one that replaced him. He's mad with you. He's jealous with you. The jealous spirit is a spirit that causes people to want to kill somebody. So the devil don't attack you to make you sick. He don't attack you to not make you not feel good. He don't attack your finances to get you to the point where you go without. He attacks you in every way he can attack you to kill you. If you get a cold, he's trying to kill you. If you get a pain in your chest, he's trying to kill you. If you get your finances out of array and everybody, you're losing everything you got, he's trying his best to put so much weight on you that you'll put a gun to your head and blow your brains out. He hates you. He does not love you. I don't know why no one anybody wants to follow somebody that hates them. But he flat right up hates you. He would rather kill you than to look at you. He does not want you to survive. Somehow or another in his mind, he's got the idea that although God said this, that was going to be his end, that somehow or another he can change God's mind when he gets enough of followers to go fight God. It ain't going to happen. God is all-powerful, and God has already told him and judged him and told him where he was going to go. So I don't understand why it is that the devil has such a hold on people's lives. I don't understand that. I don't understand how we can fall in love with something that literally hates us. So God had to have somebody to rule this earth. So as you began to see in verse number 26 there of Genesis chapter number 1, 
It said, and God said, let us make man. And this is where we stopped that last week. And when he said, let us, that is sharing with us that he is in a council of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and the 70 angels are in council talking, and they are getting to the point to where now the plan for man and the plan for the ruler of the earth is being instituted out of the council up in heaven. He said, let us make man, and let's make him in our image, Let's make him after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Everybody say dominion. Now you've got to get the understanding of that word. That word in Hebrew is rada and it means to reign. Everybody hold out and say reign. Now you cannot reign unless you're a king. Get that point now. You can't reign over nothing unless you've got a domain to reign over. That means when God gave Adam the earth, he gave the earth to Adam, and he was the king over this earth. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later on. Matter of fact, flip with me to Psalms chapter number 8. We're going to read verse 3 through 8 there, and we're going to find out exactly the scope of man's authority and his dominion and what he reigns over. Everybody just say, I supposed to reign. You're supposed to be in control of your world. You're supposed to be reigning in your world. Psalms chapter number 8, verse number 3. I want to read this to you so you can get it. I want you to see what God put under man. Verse number 3 says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, which thou hast ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why did you put man over that? When you look up at the moon and you look up at the stars and everything that your fingers created, why is it that you considered to put man over all that? So man, when he was originally created, was created as a reigning king and he had power over the moon and power over the stars and everything that God had created with the work of his hands. And then he goes on, he says, What is this man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that you visiteth him? What is so important about this man that you created him? You put him over everything, and even when he messed up, you still planning on going down and redeeming him. Why is he so important? He said, You have made him a little lower than the angels. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. There's a scripture in the Bible that says every man has fell short of the glory of God. That scripture is explaining to you what he's talking about. There was a crown that was put on your head of glory and honor. And when God said you fell short of that crown means that you are fell short of reigning as a king. Now, you are a king. You are in control of a domain. But what happened as we go on in Genesis chapter number 3, the devil realized that, and the devil come up to Eve and literally told her a bunch of lies, made her believe certain things, and as time went on, Adam took the crown off of his head and laid it on the devil's head and gave up his power here on the earth. Just gave it to the devil. And he done it all, get this now, he done it all, for sex. Stop and think about that. For love of a woman. 
What is the big running thing today in the world? You turn on the television and you see them advertising these commercials, love has no label. Love has no race. Love has no limitations. What they're saying is, is if you're gay, you got a right to love. If you are lesbian, you got a right to love. If you're white, you can marry whoever you want to. You're black, whoever you want to. I don't have a problem with that. But where it goes to the point at, it goes to the point later on, there's one that just put out, and I can't remember how they label it, but they're saying that D, if D wants to, can marry a turtle. If D wants to, she can have her a bunch of frogs and count them to be her husband. Now, the devil used love in Adam's heart, which was part of him, to make him follow what, he was doing, and Timothy says that Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. The day that he ate of the fruit, he knew the minute he ate his fruit, he was giving up his throne. And today, we are not crazy either. We know the minute that we commit a sin, we're giving up our area and our domain. That's why the Bible says, neither let the plate, the devil, have place in your life. The word place means domain. He's not to have any territory in your life because once he gets a territory in your life, he's got it legally and he will not let it go without some power being applied. Amen? So, if we go on here in chapter 3. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him that you visited him? For you made him Lord and angel, you crowned him with glory, and you made him to have dominion over the works of thy hand, and thou hast put all things under his feet. So the first Adam, Adam, was created, and everything that God created, he put under his feet, and he put everything under his hands, right up to the moon, the stars, the clouds, everything. He had authority over all of that. As it reads on, said you gave him all sheep and oxen, yeah, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the pass of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So that's an angel talking to God saying, what is so special about this man? Why is he so special? I want you to just look at your neighbor tonight and say you're special. And as we know the story, it went on, uh, Adam gave up his rights. And then we know that the same spirit, the spirit of jealousy caused Cain to rise up and kill Abel and kill him. It's the same spirit that's going on today. There is a fine line between love and hate. You can love somebody one minute and hate the very same person the next minute. It's that close. And love is killing a whole lot of people because God says number one thing in life is to have his righteousness. Not to have love, have his righteousness. So, as time went on, Cain rose up, killed Abel, and life went on. And the Bible says as time went on up to the flood that all man's hearts was evil continually. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 6 and we'll show you some things. Genesis chapter 6. The reason why this is important is because you need to know what entities is in the world and how you need to fight them. Genesis chapter number 6. If you got that, say amen. amen. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born in the den that the sons of God. Now, last, last Wednesday, I told you what the sons of God are. What are they? Angels. 
the sons of God, in the counsel of God, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all them that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. So he told him there, he said, you're going to have 120 years to get right. Now I want to share something with you. Jesus said that as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, and he said, remember Lot's wife. He said, that's the way it's going to be in the end days. The very same thing, let me preface what I'm going through tonight, the very same thing that was going on here before the flood is going to be happening now in the last days. So now we see the sons of God, the council of fallen angels, they have looked upon women and they have shown them, shown them desirable. They've chosen them, took them to be wives, come down, appeared in a man's form, and they have married women. And they birthed a race that was not a race that God created. So that means if we're in the end time and what Jesus said about these, uh, the, what was going on here is going to happen in the last days. Some of the people that you may know in life, they're hybrid individuals. They're not humans. You need to understand that. If you know anybody in your life, when you look at them, it looks like they have no soul. How many of you have looked at the news sometimes and say, how in the world could anybody do that to somebody? How in the world could anybody cut somebody up into pieces? How in the world can somebody do them like that? They have no, no desire. They have no love. They have no soul, so to speak. They're literally a hybrid individual. Now, when you go to preach this here, there ain't a whole lot of people going to believe it. But I believe Jesus when he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end day. So if Jesus said it, it don't matter whether you believe it or not. I believe it. And I know that if it's going to happen, it happened like that before, it's going to happen again. The devil has used this tactic to destroy God's people many times. And it said in the last days, even in Timothy, it said there's going to be a release of more spirits than we've ever had. A lot of seducing spirits, a lot of perverse spirits. They're going to be sent out because this here strategy from the devil is going to be applied again. So it said, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, verse 2, they were fair, and they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, I'm going to give them, in verse 3, my spirit's not going to be there all the time. I'm going to remove my spirit from them because every man on the face of the earth is polluted. They are not the race I created. They are a hybrid race. God cannot bless anything that he does not create. Y'all need to write that in your notes. Put that in your mind. Let it register in your head. God will not bless no system, no race, nothing that he did not create. Kids, that's why it's very important for you to select somebody that has been taught and raised in the church because when you select somebody to be your husband or your wife that ain't in church, you run a risk of getting this same type of person as your husband or your wife. Now, I know that sounds scary, but I got to warn you. I got to tell you the truth. So he goes on and he says, there were giants in the earth in those days. And then it said, and also after that, we're going to talk about that too. So he said, up to the flood, there were giants in the earth that day. 
And after the flood, there were giants. So he's telling you there, this is program that the devil has used on multiple occasions. And it's been a war and a fight that's been going on between heaven and earth. And it's been between man and the devil because he is trying to come in and pollute the race of man. He says, so there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them and they became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Now that word there for giant is the word Nephil or Nephilim. Nephilim is the product of the angels of God marrying women. They were half races. They were huge people. Just not long ago, they found a human skeleton over in Iraq that was 36 feet tall. 36 feet tall. These giants ruled the earth and came in here. They were called men of renown. That's where you get the stories of Hercules and Jupiter and Zeus and all this mythology that's out there because this was actually truly a race of people that were here on this earth. They called them gods, called them men of renown. They called them demigods, but they won't. They were a offspring of the sons of God that fell with Lucifer and they come down and they try to intermingle into the race of God or the race of man. Now go with me to Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. I want to show you something else. There's a very important reason why you need to know this. Number one, they're going to be coming back. The angels are still there. The same type of wickedness is going to be here in the last days. Numbers 13, verse 33. If you have that, shout amen. I'm not going to turn everywhere tonight. I'm going to give you some scriptures but there is some things that I need to pull out so that you can see it. Numbers 13 and 33, and the scripture reads like this, and said, And they there they saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, stop thinking about it a minute. A grasshopper. Can you not hold a grasshopper in your hand? So these giants were so big that they could hold a man in their hand. That's what they're trying to say. There is one book that was taken out of the Bible that I think every, every Christian needs to read. It was taken out of the Bible in 1611. It was in the Bible up until 1611. And they took it out because they couldn't explain it. And that is the book of Enoch. Enoch is the, the prophet of God that walked here on earth. He was the grandfather of Methuselah or the father of Methuselah. And he was raptured out of here, or he was carried out of here by the power of Almighty God. And in there, he said that there were giants that was on this earth that were 30 L's, E-L-L-S. And the measurement, E-L-L-S, if you take it to the measurement of the day and apply that to 30 L's, meant they were 4,500 feet tall. Hmm. Now, that's something to think about. The pyramids could easily be built by them. Now, I'm not saying that's the Bible. I'm saying it was in the Bible, and they took it out. It's in the Catholic Bible still today. But in the King James Version, it was taken out of the Bible. So it's very important to understand that. In Deuteronomy chapter number 1, verse 28, turn with me, dear, real quick. Deuteronomy 1, verse 28. 
I love to teach this because you are not going to hear this nowhere else. And there's not, there ain't a whole lot of preachers that's got the, the courage to stand up and preach this. Verse 28. And he's talking again, verse chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. He says, Whether shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. Oh, my Lord. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. It's walled up to heaven. In the original Hebrew, it means we can't see the top of them. Why in the world, if you're six foot and you're way out yonder, way off, you want to be able to see walls that's a mile high, right? And where it is. Anybody ever been to New York City? Anybody ever been to a city? A large, tall skyscraper? Way on up there, 800, 900 feet, you can see where it is. They were saying, we don't know and can't tell you where these walls end. That gives me a whole lot more want to shout about it when I think about how God just came down and tore down the walls of Jericho. 4,500 feet tall is what Anik said some of these giants were. I don't know if I want to live that way, and I definitely don't want to go where they're going to be. Amen. So here we've got this, and, he's, and they're saying these Giants, these walls go all the way up to heaven. If you look at chapter 2, verse number 10 and 11, you see something there real quick, and they're talking about this. He says, The Emims dwelt there in times past, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims, which also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them the Emims. In that original language, it's called the Elims. And that's where Enoch said they were L's. They were 30 L's tall. I'm telling you, the Bible kind of goes together with that. Amen? Look at verse number 19 real quick. It said, And when they come as nigh unto against the children of Ammon, distress them not, nor meddle with them, for I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon their own possession, because I have given it unto the children of Lot for possession. So God had a reason for that. Now go with me to chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 19. Let me make sure I got that right. I wrote it down so quick. 19 and verse 20 through 11. Let's read just a little bit more. 20 through, I'm sorry, 20 through 21. You know what? I needed to stay in the same chapter. I'm sorry. I wrote down things so quick. Verse 20 through 21 in chapter number 2. Go back there real quick. We'll read the rest of that. I think I got it now. Verse yeah, 20. That also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumims, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. Now, I want you to just get you an idea. Here's the Hebrew children going into the Canaanite world, and there's these giants. If what Enoch said is the truth, 4,500 feet tall, and these here walls all the way up to heaven, they can't even see the top of it, and God comes in and wipes them completely out, and now God, through a miracle, brings these people into the land. That's something to get shouting about. Amen? Now, I want to share something else with you on this. Let's see what the Bible documents as how big one was. Look at chapter 3, verse number 11. Talking about King Og. 
It says, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained in the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. He had a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. A cubit of a man is 21 inches in the, in the Hebrew. It's 18 inches in English, 21 and a half inches in Hebrew. And he was telling it was nine cubits. Well, that means that the bed itself was 18 feet long. But it goes on a bit further and says that it was right at nine foot wide. Now, if you know anything about kings, kings do not sleep with their queen. They sleep by themselves. So the bed that he had was 18 feet long, and it was over almost nine foot wide. This is a man that's 18 foot tall, and he's got a nine foot body. You lay me down here, I'm six foot and add three foot to me. That's how wide he was. If that's the case, my hand right here is some eight inches. All you got to do is just kind of prioritize it in your mind. At eight inches at six foot, then I'd have an 18-inch hand. That means my hand would run from here to there. What would you feel like if I slapped you upside the head with an 18-inch hand? So we got to understand what was going on. The devil was trying to destroy everything that he can. Now, in Joshua chapter 15, verse 8, we ain't going to turn there. It's talking about the Rephaim. And maybe we do, maybe we do. Let's turn that out one. Maybe we need to go to that one. I need to kind of get through this. I've been talking a while. Joshua 15 and 8. And it says, And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom unto the south side of the Jebusite, the same as Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which was at the end of the valley of the giants northward. So it's telling us, that there was an area that giants lived in, and they were called Rephaim. They were the offspring of the Nephilim. So they were the sons of God that come down, married women, and they birthed Rephaim. And the Rephaim, as they had children, they were called, uh, I'm sorry, the Nephilim. And then as the Nephilim beth children, they were called the Rephaim in Greek, I mean in Hebrew. Now turn with me to Job. I want to show you something here about this. This is very important. Job chapter 22. I'm sorry, 26, Job 26. I've got so much rope down up here, I'm trying to follow myself tonight. When you have chapter 26, say amen so I can hear you. All right, we're going to read verse number five. The way you discover this is you do a word study. The word study on Rephahim carries you to a lot of places, and this is the same word, Rephahim, that is used in this verse. Job 26 and 5, dead things, that means Rephaim, they're dead. They are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. That word formed there means they remain under the waters. Rephaim remain under the water. So with their spirit, when it was destroyed, uh, some of them went down into Tartarus, but many of them went under the waters. There is an underworld under the waters. That's why you need to understand when you look at Aquaman, you are literally looking at something that everybody believed was a Rephaim. When you look at the mermaid, the mermaid was literally a hybrid individual. They did live here on the earth. It ain't a myth. It, they existed. They have fossils to show they existed. You need to understand that. And there are these dead Giants remain under the water. We're going to find out a little bit further on that they do not have 
any type of resurrection. None whatsoever. They will never be resurrected. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 26. I only got a couple more places I need you to go tonight to see this. Isaiah chapter 26, verse number 14. When God destroyed the giants, he done it twice. He done it first by the flood. And they were the reason why the flood came because there were only eight people left on the face of the earth that were of pure Adamite stock where Jesus could come through them. And God decided that he would kill everything that lived and save Adam so Jesus could have an opportunity to come. But here in chapter 26, verse 14, we find out something about the people that were killed at the flood. And then the devil come back in after that and tried the same strategy with the fallen angels. And David killed the rest of them that were there. And it says they are dead or they are Rephaim. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. That means, that means they'll never be raised up. And they shall not rise. They're not going to come out and rise back up. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Made all their memory to perish. Now you got to understand this. There's a reason why it's not great big popular for people to preach this. Because the devil's tried his best to keep the, the memory of these things away from us. Because this is his next plan to destroy the human race. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 9. This is the last scripture that I'll have you. Because there is a purpose for these giants. Why they were here. Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee. To meet thee at thy coming, it stirreth up thee. Rephaim, the giants for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth, talking about all the fallen angels, it raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. God's plan for man, Ben, was for him to rule this earth, to be in control of this domain, to be in control of the earth, the moon, the stars, the heavens of this earth to run and control, and to have communion with God. God wants heaven and earth to be one, like it was the original creation. And then when he remade it for a little while until Adam fell, he wants earth and heaven to be one. And it will be one in the end age. But the devil got angry with what God was trying to do. And when he replaced uh, uh, his position with the man, he set out to destroy man. And when he caused Adam to fail and Adam gave over his crown to glory for him and gave him the power in the earth, God told him then, he said, you're going to bruise the heel of the man, but I'm going to bruise your head. In other words, he said, the seed of the woman that's going to come is going to redeem this man that just failed. And because of him, we're going to be able to fulfill the purpose that I have created man to be. So the devil set out and says, we got to stop God from coming down and living in man and dwelling with man. So we're going to pollute the bloodline 
of Adam so nobody would be able to do it. So he starts going in polluting the bloodline and he got so good at it that he literally got everybody on the earth but eight people. Eight. Out of billions of people probably that were living on the earth at that time, the devil had done so well that he got everybody but eight people. And God said, the only way I can stop him is I can't have nobody go into the last family on this earth that's not polluted. So I got to destroy the earth and I'm going to give men 120 years to repent and leave this alone. But if they don't, then you're going to be the one that's saved. And then all of a sudden they didn't, as you know the story, God flooded the earth killed all of the giants, killed everybody that was in rebellion and set up earth again or set up Noah and gave him a dispensation. And while he was going through there, the devil tried it again. He come back in, he began to marry women again and they birthed giants again. And finally God gave David the power to destroy them. But when Jesus came, Jesus said, all right, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. So today, what is going on with all of this homosexuality and all this stuff? They are releasing evil spirits. The devil, the fallen angels are coming in and they're infiltrating the, the, the very race of man to the point to where they are literally trying to kill man off. But when it's the right time and when wickedness has abounded and perverse spirits has abounded and seducing spirit has abounded, the archangel of the Lord is going to step out of the eastern sky with the sound of a trumpet, make a sound, and Jesus is going to come and, res and, and rapture his children out of this earth that are still alive, resurrect those that have died. And for some uh, seven years up in uh, heaven, we are going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb and we're going to come back and fight. And over a thousand years, Jesus is going to rule on this earth in 100% peace and then to rid all rebellion God is going to release the devil one more time in a season and see who will follow the law during that age and if they don't they're going to be killed and then God's going to move his throne from, uh, from heaven down to earth judge everybody and from there in eternity every faithful angel every faithful human being will live eternity with God and the Lord himself the devil is actively at work in the spiritual heavenlies right now doing exactly what was doing, going on in the time of Noah. And it's time for the church to wake up and receive that and understand it and realize how important it is to fight against him. If we don't, we're going to lose our church. We're going to lose our family. We're going to lose our politics. We're going to lose our nation. Because there is something that is holding him back right now. And when it is taken out of here, he's going to be released 100%. And that is something is called the church. So as we are the church, we are to impact this world, change this world, make a difference in this world. And I wonder, are you beginning to get to see a clear picture of the war that's going on and what hell is trying to do to you? If you're getting that clear picture, you should hate him just as bad as he hates you. And if that's the case, you ought to make a vow in your own life that you're going to do everything you can to destroy what hell is trying to do in your family, what the devil's trying to do in your church, and what he's trying to do in your nation, and make it one of your top priorities. Has anybody got any help tonight? Say amen. Are you glad you came to church? Praise the Lord. Stand with me. Praise the Lord.
It is indeed a blessing to have you listen to our worship services and our power talks here on Anchor FM. This is Pastor Kip Nance with the Living Water Worship Center here at 58 Clyde King Drive in Bladenboro, North Carolina. If you're looking for a church that'll love you, a church that'll challenge you on a weekly basis to learn more of the Lord, get closer to the Lord, and a church that's in search of the glory of God to manifest itself again here in the 2020 decade, we want to invite you personally to come and be a part of our assembly. Come worship with us. You can be my special guest. I would sure love to see you. Our service times is on Sunday morning at 1030 and Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Come as you are and be who you are and discover the difference. I'm sure that you'll be ecstatic once you do. God bless you, and we'll be looking forward to see you.